Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast spoiler minisode for Nightmare Alley. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and I'm joined from across the pond by the statesman to my kingsman, John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am doing quite well, sir. How about yourself? Uh, very similar in mood and attitude, my friend. I'm looking forward, though, to uh, diving in to Nightmare Alley. And just for in, in case anyone missed the, the title of this episode or the graphic or what I've just said, this is a spoiler episode. So if you haven't seen Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, go and watch it. It's two and a half hours long. Go watch it. Come listen to us afterwards. We do have a non-spoiler episode that dropped last week. So um, John and myself, we were both... We were both up on this film. I think we both said we kind of hovered around a 7.4, which was uh, the IMDb user rating. We kind of said that's that's about right for us. Maybe one thumbs up each for this film. So, uh, John, let's kick it off. Spoilers. Let's, you know, what was one of the spoilery things that stood out for better or worse? Um, I, I mean, Bradley Cooper's performance, for sure, uh, I mm-hmm. think is just outstanding in the lead. Um, he does, at times, uh, hit the Ryan Gosling look, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick uh, side note: Apparently, in this in certain cities on January fourteenth, a black and white version of this film dropped. I read uh, this, and I really would like to see that. Uh, I hope when they do the Blu Ray, it's on. It's, they give you both because I would be down to to see this in black and white. But we love this. We both love Dan Lawson's cinematography so much, like the like the backlighting and the, that kind of like sepia wash that is covered that he brings to his uh, films and the Del Toro look. Would we lose something? It would. It would feel classic yeah. noir but would we lose that element because this film looks stun and sounds stunning I, I wonder um how it was done like if if obviously it wasn't filmed in black and white initially mm-hmm. and that's usually a problem when you're just you know second it, yeah yeah but um i'm, I'm still intrigued because the shadows are very strong in this so if like if the Not contrast yet. is done correctly it, it could look quite amazing um so the the big twist of this movie is the um he gets really good at being a mentalist uh which i think the uh, it's so hard for me not to compare this to the original film um and i don't want to spoil the original film although ultimately the, the story is the same so there is a level of inherent spoiler but there's a few changes yep. that i think are significant and when you um, say he you mean stan which is bradley stan. cooper's character yep yeah um and the you know he becomes this really p- successful mentalist and we we have i think too many scenes of him like working with richard jenkins character mm-hmm. um those are a lot of the additions like we get a lot of extra scenes with that and i don't know that they really build to the suspense um but the guy has a dead wife uh you get a lot more exposition as to why sh- why he's so uh, uh maybe not wife uh lost love i guess is more accurate yeah um I think you get more of the backstory as to why he's so devastated by her loss than you get in the original film. But, um, you know, he, he thinks that the, this mentalist can like conjure her, that he can bring the spirit and Bradley yeah. Cooper. There's always kind of this ambiguous nature to the story. Like, you know, he's a, um, a hustler, but there's still like, you the almost believe your mind. Yeah. Yeah, like, you you almost, like, no, no, I think he's legit, even though you're being told the process. Like, you're constantly being reminded that, no, well, this is all a gimmick. He explains it, doesn't he, to Kate yeah. Blanchett's character, Lilith. He even says to her, this is how I did it. 
Yeah. But, it, but still, there's this guy, it's Del Toro, which maybe has that, you've got that in the back of your mind as well. It's like, is there a fantasy? What is going on here? Yeah. But I think that's in the original story too. I think that's one of the things that I love about the film is that, like you are in on the, the bit and yet he's so good. He convinces you who knows it's a bit that yeah. it could yeah. be real. And, um, that's a part of the character. Cause he is supposed to be this charmer. Like you can't get past Stan. Like, and so this guy like expects this thing. And then we know that he can't actually, even the mentalist part is like, why do you think he can bring a spirit back? Like that doesn't seem to be in the realm that we're working with. I know that the spirit world is connected, but now we're like, we're talking about manifestation. Um, yeah. But the, the, the greed, the desire for money um, and almost this, uh, he, he, Stan has always kind of suffered from like an inferiority complex, right? Like he's never mm-hmm. been good enough and here's his opportunity to like buy in. So there is some commentary on like social class and status that is built into this. This guy's always had everything. And now he's like basically begging Stan who came from nothing. Uh, and Stan sees it as an opportunity to leech all the money he possibly can from this guy. Um, and he's like you said, working with Kate Blanchett's character, um, the double cross that she, she pulls is outstanding. Like there's so many, um, and all basically because he embarrassed her, uh, like there's like this competition element that you, you can't quite tell if it's sexual tension or mm-hmm. if it is this hostility. Um, I love all of that. I, I don't think it's as well executed here as it is in the original film. And again, I bring that into this, like I already was aware of that dynamic. So I'm watching it with different eyes than someone who's never seen this story. So I don't know if that affected it, but I, I really got into all of that. What about you? Yeah, I I thought the uh, it's kind of like it's that noir trope of how far will you go to to keep the deception going, or how far into deception can you fall? And that's what happens in this third act, which I think was a really good third act. You know, the you mentioned it that he's basically tra- uh, Stan. Is basically has basically convinced Ezra Grindle, Richard Jenkins' character, that he can manifest his deceased wife, and they try it. They get they have uh, Rooney Mara's character Molly, who is Stan's uh, wife, I believe, and then yeah. leaves him later on during the film because she's she knows he's having an affair with Lilith, and also he's just too into his work, and he he has no time for her in any kind of aspect. Um, but you know he he dresses her up, and the whole point is. Ezra will be so blinded um, by what he's seeing that he'll just believe it. But no, once once that illusion is shattered, it soon turns into farce and murder happens. And he, then he, we get to the ending where he become he basically he becomes the geek at the yeah. end, and he, he kind of loses his mind. So, um, so there, there are some fun noir tropes which are played with, and I think they're done well. I said on the main show though, I just did not. There was a spark missing from this film and i think a lot of it was it was too long and it was uh, too long and there was moments like you said where you know we'd, we'd seen him working with ezra richard jenkins character we'd seen that we'd seen him working on him i thought the kate blanchett scenes and bradley cooper were were good but i didn't think they were outstanding i was hoping for so much more between them uh, and that kind of that slowed the film down that took away a lot of the momentum the urgency the best noirs for me always have that dread or that sort of idea that you're hurtling towards something, even in the slower moments, the films I've mentioned previously, like strangers on a train, like double indemnity, they're not breakneck speed, but there is this uncertainty hanging over every scene. I didn't really get that with nightmare alley 2021 slash two, because I think it was too long. 
everything else about it was great. I think the acting was was very good uh, across the board. We've mentioned the cinematography. I think Nathan Johnson's score was fabulous. Um, the costume design and production design was really good. Everything was captured really well. And Del Toro's flourishes and signature is all over this. But I just wasn't taken in by by the story itself, and which which. God, frustrates me because I love a good noir film. It doesn't have to be a black and white from the 40s, 50s or 60s. We've had recent noir films, and I'm talking in the last 20 years, which I've thought have been extremely good. So I'll take, I just love the genre. Yeah. But the, the best ones hook me immediately, whether it is a character, even if they're despicable, they, they kind of, so they're, you're in. You were into what, like the carny stuff at the beginning? I liked the Kylie stuff, and I liked when we uh, uh, mainly because of the pa- the magnetism of Willem Dafoe's performance. Yeah, I think so he's good. really good, and when he's introducing the geek and you know, biting the neck head of the chicken and things like that, I I liked that. But it took me uh, at least an hour to really get into it, and that's when Kate Blanchett's mm. character turns up, and I think she's when when you meet her, it's almost a spoiler because so- just the way she acts is like I know where this is going. But that's when the film kind of started to go up a few gears for me. The weakness to me in this film versus the original is the relationship between Xena and Stan. Um, that's uh, Tony Collette's character, isn't it? Right. In this, it's like we see there's definitely a sexual act that takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, it is implied that there is more of a longstanding affair behind uh, her. It's uh, David Strathairn plays her husband. Yes. Uh, here. Um there is a much deeper long lasting affair that is depicted in the first film. It's done in a shorter time period again, but it, it's very clear that their relationship is um, much more meaningful, especially to Xena um, than Stan. Like for Stan, she is a, a means to success. She, he gets into the act and he starts trying to learn the, the mentalist act that the husband used to do. Um, you get that here. It's all, that's all in the, in the film, but it feels rushed. And, uh, I don't feel like the Xena Stan relationship is really that intimate. Like, it's almost like, yeah, yeah. We fooled around a couple of times, yeah, but like Xena is like devastated in the first film when he it's, ends up with like an afterthought here. I mean, we mentioned yeah. that before, but it does. And you've got such good characters, but she's in Tony Kazima is in it. And then she's not. And they, t- and they, and they show these tarot cards, which you mentioned yes. were so prevalent in the first film and the marketing for this film, as it turns out, but yeah. everything just feels, you know, like it feels like they 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 want to get somewhere. But then, like you say, like, when the second act or the middle act kind of starts, like, everything slows down, and yeah. like, like, like like a train, it just derails. There's an early tarot card reading that Xena does with Stan, where it essentially kind of like showcases it foreshadows like his fate, and mm-hmm. he kind of brushes it off as like I don't believe in this stuff; it's stupid, and then. Later, when she and the strongman come to visit them, when they're like having a successful mental, and Ron Perlman plays the strongman in that case, um, when that when they show up in this movie, it feels so out of place, and you're like, why did like why are they here? Where in the other movie, Xena has an invested interest in Stan that was established, like you know, there's a jealousy and a rivalry almost, but she still loves Rooney Mara's character, whose name I do not remember right now, but um, the uh, Molly. Molly, um, she, like, girl, yes. she grew up with her at the carnival. So like, there is a friendship there, but she's also there to kind of like stick it to Stan. And so when she does the terror reading in this movie, it's like, okay, why is she doing this? When she does it in the original film, it's a continuation of something that we'd seen already. Mm-hmm. 
and him already like being kind of freaked out. He's already starting to doubt things. And now this terror reading only makes him more paranoid. It doesn't, you don't get any of that in this new film. And I sort of, I, I just think like my understanding of that relationship is I'm bringing that baggage from that original film when I see this. And I'm like, I'm filling in blanks that Del Toro did not. And so I'm like, well, I know that they're supposed to be closer. And that's why this scene makes dramatic sense in the original and why it doesn't really work here. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that's, I, I, it's so crazy when you look at the extra 45 minutes or whatever of runtime and you lose so much into the character development. It is, it's a shame um, because again, it's a gorgeous movie. I think it's really well acted. I still think there's some cool stuff here. That's for sure. It doesn't feel as important or as as valuable as I think the original film manages to do with less time. Well, that's why I didn't want to watch the first film going yeah. into this because I wanted to try and judge it on its own merits. Is is this Del Toro film uh, a worthy uh, film noir, neo noir, whatever? Because I, I was aware that you were a fan of the forty seven one, and. I kind of thought of, well, if I go in and I really like the 47 one, am I, is it really going to negatively affect my viewing if this one is just okay? Will it, will it get knocked down a few pegs because it isn't as good? But now I really want to watch the 47 version to see what this one, I don't want to say lacking, but I'm going to, is is, is lacking. And uh, to add 40-odd minutes on, and it almost seems frivolous to have done so, now that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But there are some good moments, like you say. I think the third act is good. I think the, 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 the tension of when the deception is finally revealed um, twofold when, when I have to remember the names now, uh, Ezra Grindle, Richard Jenkins realizes that's not his dead wife in front of him. In fact, it's just an imposter. They have to do, he gets dealt with. And then Anderson, the bodyguard gets dealt with. And then he goes back to Lilith, Kate Blanchett's character. And she obviously double crosses him as well. So I, but I think the, the slow burn of the deception, once we realize when we have that confrontation, like you said, when we first meet Kate Blanchett from then on, the deception grows and we start to see what's really going on here. And the film gets interesting. I like that. Uh, I like some of the carny stuff before like Willem Dafoe's character. And I like that aesthetic, but, uh, but it it was just things around that just didn't click. And I going to say it again. I think if you trim even 20 minutes off this film, it's tighter. You, You don't have that kind of sag, in the middle or, or throughout, shall I say, because not just the middle, but throughout, you don't have that kind of slag or that slowdown, which takes away any kind of tension or, or urgency. And I think that would have, for me, made a better viewing experience. Now, I understand this film's getting pretty decent critical reviews, like 80% RT, 69 Metacritic is lower than I would have thought it was, but it's still not bad by any means. But, uh, I can't say I dislike this film. I thought it was a very decent film. It's not Del Toro's best film, but it has made me want to go back and revisit a a classic film of old, which for me, if it, it, that's probably the biggest win of all is I get to go and watch a potentially better film out of this. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's it. And I, I am happy to see like, cause I wasn't sure. Cause again, my vibe was like from the, the room that I was in, it felt very mixed. I am happy to see that it's generally getting positive praise. Cause again, it's not perfect, but it's also, it's not, bad like it no, could be by far yeah not bad if anything i think the disappointment is that you see how great it could be um because there is so many cool ideas and so many interesting visuals and so much stuff um that it's a shame that it's just missing a few little things and um 
it might be that because there is so much, there are a lot of characters that this movie kind of juggles and Del Toro adds a few elements to like, I, I feel like he almost over details certain parts that you're like, well, that's not really what matters. It, it's more about these guys and not like, why does, why Stan ends up with the other guy? Cause there's the whole Mary Steenburgen like family, like he helps Go them to. or whatever. Yeah. And then that tr- horrific scene where she kills mm. her husband and then herself, which was so that jarring. was jarring, but it was also very effectively shot. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. It was really well done. Jar- and, and jarring is what it's going for. It wants to stun you mm-hmm. because you thought it was a success story. It was Come not a success story. Um, but that whole arc is not in the original film. Like, that was added to basically set up how he ends up with the other guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. he he's successful with this family, or at least they thought he was. And then he ends up with the rich guy, Richard Jenkins. We just end up with that guy. Like, it's just there. Like, and yeah. it, it, you don't need all of that to get there. It, it, that's what I mean. It feels like he, we get really hung up on these details that are uh, superfluous. They're not, they're not needed to understand what's happening. Like we get how he ends up there because he's a famous mentalist. People will believe him. They, they, they come out in droves to his show because they believe what he's doing. He's we didn't need from carnival to, workers to entertaining the higher profile clientele a higher class right. of people which is his kind of development but the, the biggest body goal, blow yeah. the biggest body blow for me my friend and no disrespect but i saw peter mcneil was to cast as judge kimball and i was like oh fantastic yanosh from ghostbusters 2 is in it of course that's peter mcnichol so i was really uh, confused as to why he looked really different in this film very but, different uh, yeah yeah but he's got this got peter mac mm, and it ends with an l so i was only a few uh, letters away, but that was, was so the biggest cool. body blow for me. I thought I was going to get Emmy Award winning Peter McNichol in this film, but hey, maybe that's what we needed. Maybe we needed a Janosch esque character to elevate this somewhat. But now, like you said, this isn't a bad film. Far from it. Nowhere near a bad film. In fact, it's technically excellent. It was just something was missing for me, which by the sounds of it, yep. the original has. And that's not to um, kick this film as well and say, well, this film isn't very good. The other one's much better. But, yeah. you know, I, I like this film. I appreciate it. I got a lot out of it. However, if if I could watch the 47 one and get even more out of it, then I owe a debt to this version for introducing me to that version. So, you know, everyone's a winner as far as I'm concerned. I don't disagree with you, sir. Thank you, sir. So uh, I think that's going to be our spoiler review, unless you've got anything else you want to throw onto the fire. No, I think that's sufficient. No, I think we've uh, gone through that. So we'd love to know what you guys thought of Nightmare Alley. Did it work for you? Did it not work for you? Was it a classic noir or was it a bit of a damp squib? Let us know. You can find us online uh, on Twitter at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. John, where can I find us on Instagram? At Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. If you're Meta or Facebooking still, just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. You'll find us on there. You can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and what I watch tonight across all the socials and letterboxed. John, where are you? I am at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms. Go and stalk his film socials. It's very, very much worth it. And if you have a spare 30 seconds, please do consider leaving us a five-star review or rating on your podcast platform of choice which now does include spotify it helps the show grow gets more listeners in and we get more people to talk film about each week which is what we're all here for so thank you for listening and stay bloody awesome keep watching movies